we were talking in, in staff meeting this last week. I said, uh, you know, last week as people went to, as the kids went to children's church, I said, boy, it seemed like a lot. Um, and so we, we got back into the office on Monday and we looked at the numbers um, and there were 47 kids either in children's church or in the nursery that morning. And I'm, I, I, I am thrilled about that, aren't you guys? Um, I, I'm just thrilled about that. I'm so, so appreciate uh, all of the kids that are learning about the way of Jesus and learning about what it means to, to move into his way uh, as, as they grow together here at Central. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, among the many things that they share, all say that when Jesus was first baptized, when he first uh, had that moment of, uh, with John the Baptist, and then uh, that moment of baptism in which he was recognized as the Son of God, God speaks over him that he's the beloved Son, right? From that moment, uh, Jesus would go on into his ministry. And it would be the ministry of speaking about the good news of the kingdom of God. It would be the, the ministry of freeing people from the oppression of, of their sicknesses and the things that were hurting their bodies or their spirits as he cast out uh, devils that were attacking people. It would be the ministry of confronting the powers that be, the, the people who had uh, the influence in their society, whether that was because of their religious uh, reputation or because of the sword that backed their power. Jesus would speak to all of that. But before Jesus did any of those things, before he jumped out into the way of his ministry in the world, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that before he would go there, he went to the desert. That Jesus went out into the, into the desert for a time of fasting where he underwent testing or temptation. There are many places that it is easy to follow Jesus. But today, O oh church, I ask you to follow Jesus into the desert. Because we need spaces in our lives where we practice the things that Jesus encountered in the desert. We need to have Moments and habits and routines in our lives that aren't just the places of the feast, but are the places of the table of scarcity and fasting too. The Gospel of Matthew in which the Sermon on the Mount is found. We're working on the Sermon on the Mount right now, um, and we're going to be in chapter 6 in just a moment. But before we get there, hear what... Matthew tells us about Jesus' time of fasting, the time of Jesus in the desert. It says some very believable words to me. It says that Jesus was, this is chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says this, and I believe these words. And it says, and afterwards... 
he was famished. Now, the gospel say a lot of things about Jesus that sometimes you're like, man, that's kind of tough to believe. But I have to believe pretty easily that Jesus, when he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, practicing the discipline of fasting, I believe he was hungry. Do you believe that? I mean, I go 40 minutes and I'm kind of got a bellyache. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights in this, in this moment of fasting. It says this is, this is the way that he was preparing to be tempted by the devil. And one of those temptations was going to be to feed the hunger, to take stones that were there in the wilderness and to turn them into bread. Jesus, as much as we must, uh, must glorify, you know, and, and, and honor and worship the Jesus who sometimes does things that we just cannot understand and cannot believe, these powerful acts. You know what? Sometimes we need to remember that there was a day when Jesus just wanted a snack. In fact, it's kind of a theme in the Gospels. Jesus cooks for his disciples on the beach, makes a little grill out with some fish. Wish I'd been there for that moment. Jesus gets so mad about a tree not having a fig when he's ready for it that he curses the thing on the spot. Jesus got a little hangry sometimes. You know how that feels. Here, at the beginning of the Gospel, it tells us that after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Of course, a chapter later in chapter five, he's going to speak to his disciples and say, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And for those of us that want to train ourselves to hunger and thirst for righteousness, perhaps we need to first follow Jesus in the desert and understand just the concept of hunger first. To understand what it is really to feel the desire for food. To feel what it means to really need to be fed. This is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus that is not just driven by the gut. Now we're a gutty people, a gutsy people in all the wrong ways. So it's not speaking about our courage but of our propensity to follow our gut wherever it might lead. The, the, the American way in so many places in our society is feed us more and more and more and more. Went to the movies the other night. When I checked in for the movie theater, I not only got my ticket, not only got a little bag of popcorn, I bought an Icy, and it was a bottomless Icy. How can this wonder be? <laughs> I refilled it once, twice, three times I refilled the icy without any shame or compunction whatsoever. It was a night I thought would go on forever in just that way. I would refill my icy all night long and nobody would dare tell me to stop. Because that's what America is, right? Nobody tells you when to stop. At camp this year, we had an amazing disaster. It was a disaster averted, but boy, we were sitting on the edge of it. It was the second day of camp. It was Monday. We had weathered all the adjustment period of Sunday. We had gone through all the day of Monday. We got to our adult meeting on, at camp on Monday night. 
And of course, at this point, we've eaten, what, five meals in the, in the mess hall at this point? We've eaten some five meals of the course of, you know, whatever, some, I don't know how many you eat at camp, like 50, something like that? No, that can't, that mess, okay. Um, we had eaten some small percentage of our meals. Monday night, we gathered in the, with the adults after, after the day of camp, and we looked at each other, and we talked about the different things. Hey, cabin uh, 14A is doing really great. Hey, uh, cabin 16B, uh, you know, they've got a little bit of drama going on, but we're working through it. There was this one kid that got stung by a wasp, but there wasn't an allergic reaction. We went through all the different crises of the day, and then, and then, it was time for the cooks to talk. And they said, we've got an issue. When the cooks say, we've got an issue, I listen. They said, the issue is the salad bar. And I was floored. <laughs> the issue is the salad bar? What could be? Well, here's the thing. At camp, everything is served by your tables. Every every camp tables. And then they would put the food on the table. You get this many pieces of chicken, you get this many rolls, you get this, this, this thing of mashed potatoes or, or whatever it is we're having, okay? And everything, so, you know, when your cabin is eating, you eat what's on the table and that's pretty much what you get, except for the salad bar. The salad bar, my friends, was set up initially as an all-you-can-eat station. And because our campers are red, white, and blue Americans, they took all-you-can-eat Literally. And so the salad bar, on the second day of camp, the cooks came to us and they said, hey, we've got an issue. We've pretty much eaten all the salad for the week. <laughs> now, I want, I, want to, I want to just kind of remind you what camp is made up of. It is made up of second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, okay? Now, we're not talking about like, you know, like, health food junkies. I'm telling you, these are not kids that always ask for more salad, but because that was the thing that you could get as much of as you could. Listen, all I'm saying is that by Tuesday morning, after we fixed the salad crisis, the, the salad bar was no longer all you could eat. You had to, you, you could only be given at the salad bar the, a, a proper amount, a proper portion, because we are people of the gut. And if nobody will tell us no, we will keep eating and eating and eating. Jesus teaches us a different way. Now, kids, eat more salad. But Jesus wants us to live not by just following the way of the gut. But Jesus wants us to follow him and to lead our lives out of our heart. And a people who are led by the heart live differently than a people who are led by the gut. People who are led by their gut never find themselves out in the desert fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Only people of heart can follow Jesus into that place into the place of a practice that does not just say, give me more and more and more, but a practice that instead of focusing on what it can take and what it consumes, can focus on what it can provide for others and what it can give and what it can offer to the world. My friends, as we follow Jesus together, let us be people who live the way of the heart. And I want to offer you four different 
practices today that can lead us out. Now, what I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not going to be so specific to say, hey, to church, let's all do a three-day fast where we leave off these kinds of things from, that we're going to eat, or I'm not going to be so specific to say that this is the exact kind of time of solitude or prayer, or, or, or so specific to say, to kind of impose some very specific mechanical practice on you. That's not really what the things that I want to offer you are today. What I want to offer you instead is I want to suggest that all of us need some kind of practice like fasting, like a discipline of prayer, like a discipline that would avoid, that would limit certain things for us. And you'll see what I mean, but uh, we'll, we'll, instead of being on the mechanics of what that practice is, I just want to suggest that we need four, to practice four different things. The first one is we need to practice. Practice restraining your appetites. Now, whether that's through a, a discipline of fasting or a discipline, some other discipline that's like that, the practice of saying no to what your gut wants is important. And it may not be your gut. I'm talking physically about that, uh, the hunger for food and the way that that can drive us. But it's also true that there are many things that speak to our gut, if you want to take that metaphor in different ways. Some of us have an appetite not just for food, but we have a profound appetite for attention. Or we have a profound appetite for affirmation or we have a profound appetite for entertainment every week at nine o'clock and i don't know why it happens at nine o'clock i don't know who set this up but every week at sunday morning at nine o'clock my phone has the audacity when i'm sitting down for class and with you fine christian people my and i don't know if it, it may not be this like this for everybody but my phone at nine o'clock tells gives me my screen time report for the week. And I want to tell you a little secret. I never look at it. And I don't look at it mostly because I'm trying to go to class and I don't want to be embarrassed at that moment right before we start our Bible study about how much time I spent on my doggone phone that week. Because I know it will say something about my appetite, about my gut, if you will. Because my appetite is not just for things that I put physically into my mouth, but it's also the things that I just consume to entertain me and to spend my time. And we all need a practice of restraining our appetites. Not just the physical food appetite, although that's important too, but our appetites, which may cover a whole gamut of our lives. And many of us will spend our lives, if we're not careful, we'll spend our life never restraining those things, living as though we are led by the things that we desire. And the way of Jesus calls us, if we're going to have cultivated hearts, to not just live by the, by the uh, pretension of the gut, desiring and demanding whatever it wants. So we need a practice of restraining our appetites. If this is truly a land where nobody else will say no to us, then we've got to learn to say no to ourselves. And sometimes it's arbitrary. Sometimes it's, it's not like this is the level of which, which it's too late. Okay. Sometimes you just need to say, 
I am making myself stop so that I can remember how to stop. I remember we were telling our kids the other day about um, like the beginnings of Netflix, okay? Because uh, Micah's been all about watching, uh, she was all about watching Lost. And uh, Lost, uh, the TV show, you might remember the TV show Lost? You guys watch this? Okay. All right. Okay. Several of you. Great. Three or four or know what I'm talking about. Um, well, Lost, you know, began in the early 2000s, okay? And if you can remember this far back, it was before Netflix was something that you streamed from, okay? In the beginning, when Netflix first started as a company, they would mail you DVDs in the mail, okay? Like barbarians, okay? And you would take the, you know, you, so we were watching this TV. We, it was the first time we ever watched, we ever had a desire to watch the entirety of a show. And we, because, because the plot went from one of we thought it was really good. And so we would, Kelly and I, we were on a two DVD plan. Okay, and that plan meant that we got we got two DVDs at a time. Each of them would have four episodes of it. Okay, and we would get those, and we would say, "All right, we're going to watch all. We're going to watch two episodes tonight and two episodes the next night, and then we'll we'll have that one done. And we can send it in the mail. By the time we get it back, and they send us another one, we'll be through. We, so we and we thought we were like plowing through this thing because we could watch basically two hours of TV a day." You know, it was awesome. We canceled our cable. We saved like 70 bucks because we didn't have to subscribe to 10 different services like we do now. Okay. And then it changed. And instead of having to wait three days, heaven forbid that we wait three days for the next one to come in the mail, right? Netflix sent us something that seemed like it was too good to be true, and oh man, it is. Watch the episode streaming off the internet. And then before it's done, they won't even show you the credits. You don't even have to wait through the whole credit sequence. As soon as the actual show ends, the credits are still playing, but there's a little box that comes up. And it says, next episode, starting in 15 seconds. 15 seconds is all I have to wait before it'll show me the next one. And when it does that, it shows me the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. And if I watch through the whole show, I don't know if it's always done this, but it seems like it's maybe, maybe it's new. I don't know. Maybe it's a feature. Now it'll begin showing you another show that you didn't even pick. It's like just regular TV again. It just keeps going more and more and more. And Netflix will never tell me to stop. It will never limit my consumption. It will never say, we think you've had enough. The bartender down the street got more morality than Netflix does. It'll tell you it's time to go home. Netflix says, why don't you just do this for days on end and it will never stop. My friends, we are imprisoned if we don't learn to restrain our appetites. Nobody will do it for you. You have to learn 
to say, that's enough. Whether it's the salad bar at camp, or the Netflix that come across your TV, you have to learn to practice restraining your appetites. And it makes a difference when we do. However, it's not the only practice that we need here. I think another part of this practice is what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount when he speaks to the discipline of fasting. And Jesus says, and whenever you fast, this is chapter 6, verse 16 and following in the Gospel of Matthew, Whenever you fast, do not crits do, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward. Now, in case we didn't get the good joke, this is Jesus being funny, okay? This is Jesus making a really petty joke. I mean, it's kind of offensive when you think about it. He's saying, he's kind of picking on the, the people in his day who are making it very clear that they are fasting. You know, they're, they're dressing themselves down. They're putting a, little, putting a little ash up under the cheeks, you know, make it seem a little hollow. Okay, they're making themselves look as though they are absolutely miserable. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians that do this too. We try to make ourselves seem a lot more, um, you know, uh, oppressed than we really are. Like, man, there's, there's sometimes where I feel like Christians are like, we are under the greatest oppression since the book of Daniel. I'm like, man, get your suburban driving self and you find you some lines and then you come back and tell me how oppressed you really are. Okay. We are not that oppressed. We're not, but we love to feel like we are. Jesus says that the people that are doing this, they're making themselves seem a lot more of, of, um, like they're undergoing more suffering than they really are. He says those people have already received what they want. What they really wanted is they wanted other people to see them and see how holy they thought they were. And they wanted the, the, the hit of having just a little bit of extra reputation. Man, you know those Pharisees were all about that Instagram, right? They had the reels, the story. Jesus says... This, I think, to his disciples, because he wants us to make sure that whatever it is that we're practicing isn't just about restraining our appetites, but we also have a, a way that we practice pure intent, that we think and we consider to ourselves not just what it is that we're doing, but we think about why we're doing it. So, my friends, learn to practice pure intent. In your spiritual habits, in your spiritual routines, take time to think about why it is you do them. Is it just because it's another way of you feeding your gut? See, that was the irony for the Pharisees. They are practicing a spiritual discipline of fasting, but in another sense, they're really just feeding their gut. They're feeding the part of them that has an appetite for more respect and affirmation and reputation. And so Jesus says, make sure that your practice actually has some heart to it, that it's not just about a different set of desires that are hidden to other people. And so we need that. We need to continually think to ourselves what it is that we practice, what it is, why, what's really going on in our spiritual practices. Why are we doing it? We do it just to make ourselves feel better. Or do we do it because it draws us closer to God? Because it draws us toward, towards the ultimate of being 
practice pure intent. The third thing, and this is kind of related to that, because when we come to practice our pure intent, we find that that is a way for us to practice knowing our interior lives. When we practice intent, and we think about not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it, it gives us the opportunity to really consider what's going on inside of us. I had this remarkable um, conversation yesterday, and it, we, the, the person that I was talking to, we were both kind of trapped in this conversation. I, um, when I went to the movies, I also broke my phone, which really stunk. And so I went to the Verizon store because um, that's a spiritual discipline too. And while I was there, um, they were trans, you know, got, transferring stuff over to my new phone. And so basically, um, this person working there and I were just sitting there watching this thing, which was, you know, I was like, this is, this is my moment of evangelism this week. And doggone it if that girl didn't have something to tell me to. She said that after she got off work that day, she worked a full week. She said she was going to go. She was going to sit at her house. And she was going to be silent. And she was just going to sit there until she knew what was going on inside her head. Doggone Verizon girl. You're preaching to the preacher this week. So many of us are... Uh, because of our habits of consumption, we are masters of playing the game of divine hide and seek where we look, we go everywhere, everywhere we can away from our own interior selves. We run away, we run away, we run away and we hide and we hide from the feelings that we want to get away from and we hide from the things that are true about ourselves that we're not comfortable with. And I think there's a space for practicing what it is to know, to really understand our own interior lives. Jesus' practice of fasting tells us that he went out into the desert for 40 days. To, to, he went for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. He goes out into the wilderness, and it turns out that there he meets, this, he meets the devil, and the devil has questions for him, or suggestions, proposals, if you will, right? That's what these temptations are. They're solutions to problems. Take these stones and make them into loaves of bread. Take yourself to the heights of the temple and throw yourself down and see if the angels come and protect you in this incredible show. Go up to the high mountain and see the, all the kingdoms of the world and see and, and, and let you understand that I will give them to you without any kind of pain or suffering. I will just put them in your hands. These are the temptations that the devil brings to Jesus. And they all speak to something that could have been a critical flaw in the heart of Jesus. And there's lots of different reflections on these, and I'll leave this for another day. We're talking about these temptations specifically. But I want to say that the, uh, the desire to, to be able to create food out of nothing, the desire to be able to demonstrate his own, his, his absolute vindication before God uh, to the people that would later kill him, and the desire to have sovereignty over the world without any pain bringing it about, these are things that could have been for Jesus easy ways out of a lot of difficulty and a lot of hardship. And there in the desert, Jesus meets those things. When we go to the desert, when we follow Jesus into practices that restrain our appetites, 
where we go through the crucible of practicing pure intent, then we are also able to come into contact with our own interior lives and to really find out what rests there, to find out what is really going on within our hearts. My friends, we have to become more aware of what's really going on inside of us. What I said earlier about like being driven by our gut and our appetites and how there's things about the food. So here's the deal, right? Sometimes, a lot of times, we're being driven by gut appetites that we don't even know are there because we didn't take time to think about our own interior life. And so those desires like grab a hold of us and they drive us around without ever really, without us really questioning them even being there. We have to find a practice of knowing our own interior lives. And then the last thing I want to say is once we've done all that, all this together can help us form a practice of submitting our whole lives to God. Practice submitting your whole self to God. And you can only submit to God in practice, you can only submit to God what you really know is there. And through the interior reflection and understanding and that process of going into the desert and understanding who we really are inside and out, we are more ready to submit that whole being before God. How can I submit my desire, my unhealthy desire for affirmation and acclamation? How can I submit that to God if I'm not aware of it being there in the first place? How can I submit my drive to be known and respected to God if I'm not really that aware of how much that drive is really controlling me? When we go through the process of really allowing Jesus to show us ourselves, to hold up the mirror and let us see who we really are from the inside out, then we're able or we are open to putting all of that, all of that back before God. It's not just about knowing yourself. It's about giving yourself to God. It's not just the knowledge. It's what you do with it. And this practice of submitting again your whole self to God takes you back to the beginning again so that it's not just saying no to yourself, but it's saying no to yourself for the sake of God. It's saying no to yourself for the sake of what God has for you in the world to do and to become. It's listening to where God would say no. And being prepared for what God says yes to. At the end of this section, Jesus says uh, about not just fasting or, or not even praying and giving these other parts of the, just these other practices that are part of this chapter, chapter six. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What Jesus is doing in this whole thing is helping us understand the practice and the discipline of treasure. It's the practice and discipline of knowing what it is that our hearts truly desire and crave and pursue.
When we think about that, when we become aware of the way of treasure, the kind of things that we treasure in our lives, then it leads to us becoming a people that can really submit to the way of God because we treasure the way of God. We've begun to step away from the way of the step away from the way our raw appetites. We begin to step towards the way of the heart. The step with Jesus along the way of the heart. We are a people who are doing our best to try to follow Jesus together. That can't be something that we just say. It has to be something that is embodied in practices, in the stuff that we do. Rich Mullins has this great song. It's a long time ago. It's a couple of decades old at this point, but he says, um, the world told me um, to follow my heart, but my heart just led me into my own chest. Okay, the world said to follow my nose, but the direction changed every time I turned my head. So I'm going to submit to, and I'm going to follow um, the maker of noses and the giver of hearts, right? I'm going to follow the one who is leading me to something even better than the things that are just about myself. And I think that's who we're trying to follow together, right? <laughs> we're, I know we're still working on it. That's who we're trying to follow, right? Not just our own feelings. We are a people that want to follow Jesus together. So let us follow him. Let us follow him sometimes to the table of feasting. And let us also be willing to follow him into the desert when he calls us there. And let us be willing to follow him in every day in a way that takes our hearts and shapes them and cultivates them and forms them so that we may more greatly reflect him.